Hello and welcome to the I Can Do podcast with Benjamin Lee. We're here to talk about tips and strategies to have an I Can Do mindset. Life is what you put into it. Get the most you can. Here's your host, Benjamin Lee. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Can Do. I hope and pray all is well with you. We are off to a new week and as always, thank you for your support. Uh, If you are enjoying the podcast, if you are learning from these episodes or being encouraged, please share them with others. Please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Today our study is going to come from and our conversation is going to come from Revelation chapter 3. The title of this podcast is called The Dead Church. The Dead Church. Now, before we dive into Revelation chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 in particular, I want to begin with something that one of my friends shared with me. It's not necessarily the best of news. I don't know if it happened earlier this year or sometime last year. I'm probably guessing it happened sometime last year. My friend, he is a brother in Christ, and he had shared with me how his congregation uh, has lost probably about 45, 40 to 45 members uh, recently, and they also lost their preacher. And it was really due to challenges with COVID and what it sounds like. I don't know all the details, but uh, it sounded like uh, some disagreements. And that's always an unfortunate thing to hear. Now, while 2020 has passed, the pandemic, the lockdown, the shutdown, whatever you want to call it, all of that is done. And yet we're still seeing a lot of ramifications when it comes to what happened in 2020 and also in 2021. Even though I don't have all the details about what happened, Jesus, he knows everything that happened. And he knows the hearts of all men. He knows what happens in every congregation. And this is actually seen quite a bit in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. This message that Jesus will give to the seven churches of Asia Minor, they serve as a reminder for us that Jesus knows who we are. He knows the good and he also knows the bad. He sees all and what he sees really matters to him. Therefore, it should matter to us who we are as his people and as his church. And so the dead church that I want us to consider this morning, or this morning, I feel like I'm preaching a sermon, the dead church that I want us to consider in this podcast is from Revelation chapter 3, the church in Sardis. So before we look at these first uh, six verses, and we're only going to focus on those, I want us to consider some background information about Sardis. So this was a city, a capital city of ancient uh, Lydia. It was about 30 miles uh, southeast of Thyatira. We read about that congregation earlier in chapter 2. The city of Sardis was one of the most renowned cities of Asia Minor, which is now in modern Turkey. The city was built on a smooth, almost perpendicular rock hill that provided a natural citadel inaccessible from three sides and easily protected on the fourth, so there would have been a lot of great. There would have been a lot of confidence uh, in this city with respect to protection from enemies and things like that. 
Rising 1,500 feet from the plain below, the hill overlooked the wide and fertile Hermas Valley. Sardis had been a long, had long been a capital city. Uh, the kings who ruled from it were noted for their life of wealth, splendor, and luxury. Uh, the city was also known to become soft and weak. It was more of a robber's stronghold than an abode of civilized men. It's also said that in 549 B.C., Tradition says that a soldier found a crevice in the rock hill up which he led a band of soldiers to the summit, taking the city by surprise. About 330 years later, Antiochus the Great took the city in the same way. Thus, the city had twice been surprised and taken as a thief in the night. And this background information will help us when we read about the church in Sardis. So, this city was destroyed by a terrible earthquake in 17 AD. It was rebuilt with help from Emperor Tiberius of Rome, who then contributed heavily out of the national treasury and remitted taxes for five years, according to Tacitus. And by the time this letter was written to Sardis, this was a city with a past, but really no future. So, I find that interesting. In just a moment, we'll look at the church itself, in verses 1 through 6. Let's look at now the church in Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Here we go. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches." So, it's interesting when you look at this congregation here, number one, unlike the other churches uh, that are mentioned in chapters two and three, there didn't seem to be a lot of persecution, but rather peace. Now, peace is a good thing, but not when it comes to maybe being lazy or apathetic. You see, Jesus is going to show them that they are dead, and that is not the kind of peace that you want. Somebody, if I'm quoting them correctly, once said, the most peaceful place is a cemetery. And that's because everyone is dead. Well, that's not the kind of peace (laughs) that we want in a congregation. But notice again in verse number one, what we find. Jesus is speaking here. He's speaking here. He is the one or to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? There are a, a variety of views about who the angel or the messenger is. Um, we first read about this in Revelation chapter 1, where we are introduced to Jesus here. 
and John, as he sees uh, Christ, uh, he is the one in verse 12 that has the seven golden lampstands, and he is the one, Jesus, in verse 16, uh, in his right hand, he held seven stars, and he also explains it at the end in verses 19 and 20, where it says, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the lampstands are the seven churches, and these uh, angels, or stars rather, are the angels of the seven churches. And so there's been a lot of different explanations if you look this up. Some believe that this was uh, that this was referring to men sent to John to inquire of his state. Uh, you know, the word angel can me- means a messenger. Uh, others believe that it was angels who stand for and are responsible for the church's spiritual state. Others in times past believe that it referred to either a pastor or the entire eldership of the church. Some have said that this is referring to powers or characters, the history and the life of the church. Uh, Then some have said the heavenly counterpart of the church, the spiritual counterpart of human individuals. I don't know what that exactly means. Uh, And then the last two definitions, uh, the spiritual character or inward state or prevailing spirit of the church itself. And one last explanation is messengers representing the very spirit of the churches to the Son of Man. And so maybe those last two fit more appropriately. I think the big thing here is understanding that Jesus is talking. He is the one uh, that has this uh, authority. These are the words, as he said in verse 1, who holds the seven spirits of God. And some commentaries say that that's referring to uh, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus is speaking. We know that he is the one that knows all things, and he has this authority, and he is now going to speak to this congregation. Notice what he says in the second part of verse 1, I know your deeds. You see, Jesus knew the members in Sardis. He knew more than everyone else. And what did he know? He said, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So they had this reputation of being alive, influential, or sound, or welcoming, wealthy, whatever the case may have been. They had this name among others, but see, that's not the goal, is it? Being faithful to God, that is the goal. And what Jesus saw was that, yeah, you had a great reputation, but you are dead. And so look at verse 2. He said, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Again, in verse 3, we'll get there in a second, he says, wake up. This was a warning. This should have woken them up when they're reading this. They were weak, just like their city had been in times past. And there were things that needed to be strengthened, to bring to completion, to finish something that had already begun. You see, they had began to build, but they never finished. And they were near death spiritually. And Jesus saw their deeds. They were not yet complete in the sight of his God. 
their faith was lacking. And so the warning for them is wake up. And notice what he says in verse three. Not only did he say wake up, but he said, remember. You see, one of the challenges for God's people has always been to remember. Remember what God has done. He said, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. You know, they had received the gospel. We don't know too much about this congregation, but we know that they were saved. We know that they they had obeyed the gospel. They were in Jesus Christ. And now they needed to go back and to remember it. Much like the church in Ephesus, they had lost their first love. And now they needed to go back and to remember what they had received and heard. Then Jesus said, hold it fast. Hold fast. They needed to stand firm in the grace of God. Hold fast what you remembered. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 would remind the saints in Corinth about what they had received and how they had believed and how they were to stand unless they had believed in vain, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now Jesus is telling this church, this dead church, who thought that they were alive, who others thought that they were alive, to wake up, to remember, to hold it fast, what they had received and heard in the beginning. And then at the very end of verse number three, he says, repent. The message of Jesus has been a message of repentance. Back in Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15, Jesus would say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He would make make the same message in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, about unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. And so judgment would come upon them. He would say, uh, continuing on uh, in the middle part of verse 3, but if you do not wake up, so he had already told them to wake up. Now you have a choice. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. Well, see, that sounds like what happened to the city of Sardis. How twice in the past they had been taken like a thief in the night. And so now Jesus says, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. So the warning is very clear about what was going to happen. And this idea that he was going to come to them, this is some kind of discipline or judgment that would take place among that congregation there. And I know sometimes we may immediately think of the final judgment, and certainly the final judgment will come. Uh, Jesus will return. It will be like a thief in the night. We don't know the day or the hour. But I think here in this context, Jesus, when he speaks about this judgment coming upon this congregation, whether it was uh, for discipline or or something else that would take place, that this isn't the final judgment, but this judgment that would come upon them quickly. In the final judgment, Jesus is coming, whether anyone is watching and repenting, he will come no matter what. And so what this congregation needed to see, they needed to see the handwriting on the wall and what would be revealed later on in the book. They needed to make sure that they woke up because they were going to endure persecution. And they needed to be right with God. They had lost their first love. They were dead. And yet there's a glimmer of hope. And I think this is encouraging for churches today. Because when you get to verse number four, John says, yet, some translations may say, but you have a few people in Sardis. You know, sometimes all you need is just a few people. 
just a few people who will do what is right, just a few people who will stand for what is true, and those few people can make all the difference. And so there were some there, there were a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. This soiling of clothes or garments, depending on your translation, points to the immorality that certain of them were involved in. And you find the same kind of language, this idea of being unspotted from the world, like in James 1 and verse number 27, and also in Jude 3, I'm sorry, Jude verse number 23, let me just turn back there in my Bible, in Jude verse number 23, uh, Jude said this, save others by snatching them from the fire, to others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corruptible flesh. And so I think that's pointing to this immorality that was involved with the brethren at this time. And so notice again what uh, Jesus is saying to this congregation, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. So there were some who were walking faithfully with God. And as you think about a congregation, Jesus sees what's taking place in a congregation, and yet individually, we are going to be judged. In his eyes, he saw those who had not yet soiled their garments, and so we get to see uh, we get to see that there were some uh, who were doing what was right, who were still uh, walking in step with him. And so he says, "Yet you have not you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy." This idea of dressing in white, we see it throughout the book of Revelation, the 24 elders around the throne in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 4. We also see it in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and then Revelation chapter 7, verse number 9. So think about this for a moment in verse 4. When it comes to judgment, all of us are going to be judged individually. You know, sometimes people can, I don't know if people actually do this, but maybe the mindset is there where people say, well, I'm a member of the Church of Christ, and there's a Church of Christ sign on the outside of our building, so I'm good to go. Well, hold on a second. Are are you walking with God? Uh, Or sometimes people say, well, I was born and raised in the church, and my mom and dad, they're faithful Christians. Okay, well, that's good to hear. But are you faithful? All of us are going to be judged individually, even though, yes, we do make up the collectivity or a local congregation. All of us are going to be judged individually. And this shows us that in a church, there are those who may be near death, and I guess even from a collective standpoint, and those who are not. And so this should give us assurance that Jesus will judge appropriately every soul. I also want to say this that there were a few people in Sardis, I get it, who had not soiled their clothes. Sometimes people may have the view of, well, see, you know, maybe this is important reason for us to be a part of a congregation, even though we know that they're doing some things in error, they're doing some things that are not correct, and, 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 but we're trying to do the right thing. Well, this isn't giving us a license to, you know, place membership or to endorse or support a congregation that we knowingly are doing things in error, uh, and that we just say, well, we're going to go over there, and let's see what happens. And and, and sometimes I know people can do that. Uh, I may be off here. If you think I'm incorrect, please let me know. Um, but I do think we have to be careful with this, where people can have the mindset of, well, no, 
Um, I know blatantly what's happening here is not right, but uh, but we're trying to do the right thing. So I think there's something for us to consider here. And it's not giving us this license to just remain in error. You know, what Jesus is saying here, remember, he's telling this congregation, repent, wake up, finish the things that you have done. There are some who are walking with me dressed in white for they are worthy. Verse five, the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. So he's trying to get the rest of these people on the same path. These individuals are walking in step with me. And the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. So notice what Jesus is trying to do. They are not to remain in their current state but they are to change. They are to repent because those who walked with Jesus would be blessed. Those who walked with Jesus would be blessed. This church could be revived if they were willing. Heaven was at stake. And notice the language in verse five, the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. So what is Jesus trying to get across here? Well, this language is making it very clear that heaven is at stake. Now, the Jews seem to have kept some kind of register of their citizens, uh, which was the book of the living. You read about that in Isaiah chapter 4, verse number three. And so this imagery that Jesus is using here about the book of life and how their names will never be blotted out of that book of life, uh, I think we see this quite a bit with this, with, uh, with this register of the citizens that Jewish people kept. And we find this language, this book of life language, all throughout the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 32, I'll let you read that on your own. Verses 32 and 33 when Moses is speaking to God, you see this language here about the book of life. In Psalm chapter 69, verse number 28, you see this language as well here about the book of life. Then in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 20, Jesus speaks about this book of life, as well as Philippians chapter 4, verse number 3. And so what's the point of all of this? Well, those who remain, they'll be victorious. They will continue to have fellowship with me. But those who don't, well, it sounds like then that there's a danger of them being blotted out of the book of life. And so what Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to get them to turn, repent, and to come back to him. And when they do, great blessings await. They will be acknowledged before the Father and his angels. They will be in the book of life. And ultimately, they will be victorious. So, in verse number six, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus is making it clear, if you are willing to listen, and this is how he would often speak in his ministry, not just hear, but actually to listen and to apply what I'm asking you and teaching you, then you will be blessed. So let's think about this for a moment as we wrap up. What can we learn from this congregation? Number one, we can learn that Jesus knows. He knows everything. People can be fooled 
but God cannot be fooled. A lot of people in your city may not even know about your congregation, but Jesus does, and that should bring about great encouragement. Number two, repentance should be a message we hear often. Repentance should be a message that we hear often. Yeah, it's not always the popular message. You got a lot of celebrity pastors and things like that out there. And please, don't seek to become a celebrity pastor. And let me just add this as well. Uh, The preacher, the minister, he is not the pastor. Pastor is synonymous with the same office of elder or bishop, uh, overseer. Um, And so there's already that misunderstanding. But this idea of wanting to you know, be some kind of celebrity pastor. That's not what we're trying to do here, all right? Uh, Repentance is not often a message that a lot of people preach or want to hear, but it's something that we need to hear and need to preach. Jesus preached on it. The apostles preached on it. Paul preached on it. The prophets preached on it. We must do the same. So that's something that we can learn. Jesus knows We know that people can be fooled, but God cannot. Number two, repentance should be a message we often hear. Number three, persevere. This city sounds like it become like the, or I'm sorry, the church sounds like they became like the city. And that often happens in many churches today. So what we need to do, we need to persevere. We will be victorious. We can be victorious if we persevere. Number four, we will individually be judged. That's good because God is righteous and and just in everything that he does, which means that we need to examine our faith and have our own shield of faith, all right, because we will be individually judged. And then number five, a few will go a long way. There were a few people there that had not soiled their clothes or their garments, and they had remained faithful. And as I think about churches today, sometimes you just need a few people. A few people that will get out there and uh, speak about Jesus and get engaged in evangelism. A few people can make a huge difference in a congregation about what's being taught and truth and helping others who are struggling spiritually. Be a part of the few. Be a part of the few. Be like, if you're married, be like Priscilla and Aquila, that couple. Or be like Dorcas, the woman who assisted so many other widows at that time. All we need is is a few faithful. Now, obviously, we want everyone to be faithful, but many times, sometimes it's just a few. So the few can make a big difference. Finally, how we listen matters. How we listen to Jesus matters. We can hear a sermon and say, great job, great sermon, let's move on. No, I'm not making any changes. How we listen matters. So the question for you is how are you listening? How are you listening to the Word of God? The message, or the way this message ends, is a great way for us to end this morning, or today in this podcast, with listening intently to God's Word. May God bless you in all that you do. Now, maybe there's someone out there And let me just extend this invitation. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, about 3,000 people were saved. Now, those 3,000 people didn't all do different things to become saved. Instead, they all did the same thing. 
And that's what we need to do as well. You see, they heard and believed the message of Jesus, that he lived on earth, that he performed miracles, that he died, and that he was risen from the grave on the third day. They all heard that message and believed it. And they were all convicted to their hearts. And they were told by the Apostle Peter, a man who was inspired by the Holy Spirit and authorized by Jesus to to preach and proclaim the good news, to repent, to turn away from their sins and to turn to God and to be baptized. Baptism is an immersion in water. And notice in Acts 2 and verse 38, you read it for yourself. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So baptism is not because you've already been saved. Baptism is not for one who was baptized as a baby because there was nothing to repent of. But rather, baptism is for the one who hears and who believes and who is willing to turn and who is willing to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And maybe that's you. And if you'd like to study and have a Bible study with me, please let me know. Go to benjaminlee.blog. We can set up a time together there. You can uh, set up a time with me to study the Word of God. Take care, and God bless. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. If you are in the need or looking for more motivation in your life, feel free to check out my website, benjaminlee.blog, where you can find hundreds of encouraging, motivational blog posts on a variety of subjects. You can find all of my books, which can also be found on amazon.com and other podcast interviews with a variety of people. I hope this helps. Please leave me a rating and a review. I can do and so can you. Take care and God bless. Thank you.